Tonight's reading from the New Testament comes from Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. And the passage can also be found on page 3 of your bulletin. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. And in turn, I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was, grown on, what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we now um, bear our hearts before you, question what, what sort of soil are we in this moment. And we pray that you would move by your spirit that, that the harvest, the yield, would be so great, even tonight, even today. Because you're able to do it, and you're worthy of it. In Christ's name, amen. At Grace Downtown, we have a goal. We sum it up in a little phrase we've been saying for a long time. Uh, maybe some of you can finish. We're seeking to be inwardly growing and outwardly serving. That's right. 
And we seek to work that out in three ways. And we rotate one of these every year. The first is, uh, what does it mean to be the family of God? What does it mean to be that? Because, Because that is the primary lens by which God views his people. The household, the family of God cross-cultural family, global family, a family that resembles and reflects Christ, a family that actually reparents us, rebrothers us, re-sisters us. And our ministries fall under that. This is a family meeting. Now, it, it ought to be a family uh, that has open doors and open windows that other people can come in, Right? But our ministries, as we think about the worship service or community groups or our cultural intelligence ministry or hospitality, gospitality, those things under family of God. And then we talk about what it means to live in place or theology of place. That God has made us to be placed beings. He always has. And our mission here is not to use the city and make it just a springboard or a playground. But we're here to be God's holy and loving presence in the city. And so we begin to think about ministries like our diaconal ministries, justice and mercy, or faith and vocation. What does it mean for me to work in this city and be the presence of God? But lastly, we also want to be a community that is focused on what we're now calling spiritual practice. Spiritual practice. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, that's going to be our focus this year, so you're going to hear quite a bit about it. But let me just say this. Uh, Let me take us back to something we talked about a couple weeks ago, and I was quoting someone that was quoting St. Augustine, who said uh, this idea of, you know, what defines what you and I do and think most is our desires, our affections, our loves define what we do. In some ways, you could do this little exercise, just a visual representation. You know, you take a few minutes and you write down on a sheet of, sheet of paper uh, the most significant uh, decisions and choices you've made in your life and then just draw a heart around it. Because it was your heart that got you there. Whether they were bad decisions or whether they were good decisions. And this is what Jesus taught, right? Jesus said, it's out of our heart come our practices. But this is the thing that's more nuanced and tricky about it. Because it's not just uh, outflow. If I could draw another diagram, up here I would have desire... And here I would have practice, and there would be an arrow going down, but then there would be an arrow going up. Because those things inform one another, right? An example, uh, some people I've run into this year have said, uh, you know, I've taken a break from social media because I, I didn't like the person I was becoming. And that's a perfect illustration, right? Now, it's not social media that produced the seeds of what you didn't like, but it did begin to condition it, right? And so there's two questions being put before us right from the beginning. What kind of life is my heart producing? What kind of life is my heart producing? 
but more so, what kind of practices are conditioning my heart? These stand at this idea of spiritual practice. And historically, the church has said there are practices that God has given us whereby we get that encouragement and grace we just heard prayed for. Practices of participating in the sacraments. Practices of prayer corporately and individually to God. Practices with experiencing the Word of God. These are part of the things that condition, right? Big things. Few things influence us like words. I was reading today, again, just, you know, it's research that's been repeated over and over again. Just uh, the effect upon words, or rather, uh, the effect upon children, right? Whether it be negative words or positive words, uh, lies. Or even the lack of words, the absence of words. Maybe, maybe some of you have uh, seen that famous um, experiment called the still face experiment. And uh, it's, you know, it's not a fun thing to watch when you do different things. But it, it does have a powerful point. Basically, there's a mom and her baby. And the mom is, right, engaging with the baby and playing and doing all these things. And then she goes into straight stare mode, just like this blank. And to see the baby's response, baby first gets, you know, kind of laughs and then tries to get tension, then gets agitated, then begins to cry and bite its hand. If you think that you are staring at a blank-faced God, the response is even going to be worse. If you think uh, that the God up there doesn't speak, doesn't speak personally, doesn't uh, speak in a concrete way, word. Doesn't speak graciously, doesn't speak truthfully. You'll find yourself um, with both a heart and a life that just keep wrecking. <laughs> you know, if it's, true with, if it's true with parents with child, how much more the God that made you? And the God that made me. It's so critical that we understand a God who speaks words to us. The Christian faith is a revelation-based religion. Right? This idea that we expect that God has been speaking. And so what we're going to do in the fall is spend some time experiencing the Word of God. And we chose those words very carefully. Not just like thinking the Word of God, not studying, but experiencing. What does it mean to experience God's Word? But before we can get to that, there's another question that comes before that, right? And that's, how do we even get into a place where we can listen? Preparing to hear. If, if uh, life has been teaching me anything over the decades, uh, if being in committed relationships and also a good dose of counseling have taught me anything... It ain't that easy to listen. In fact, you can spend, you can, sometimes you've got to do a lot of work to learn to listen. Because there's a lot of stuff in there that stops us from listening. Right? I mean, it might be fear. It might be defensiveness. Just think about your everyday listening. You go into work, 
and there's a coworker that, you, you know, you're just kind of jealous, you compete with. And when they speak, how do you listen to them? Or you're having a conversation with someone else and you barely can pay attention because you really don't think they're of that much value, right? It's hard to listen. Or in one of your relationships with your family member, you know, there's just buttons that have been pushing. and It's just, we need a lot of help to get into a place where we can hear the Word of God. And so Jesus gives us this parable. Some of you are very familiar with this parable, the parable of the sower and the seed. You've been hearing it all your life. And parables in and of themselves, that passage we got, you know, they deserve attention just in their, um, well, why Jesus, the disciples asked this question, why would he speak that way? Parables are interesting. You know, they're these narratives and analogies in these stories, but they often have dramatic confrontation in them. And they're meant to move people to decision. And they're a backdoor way to get at the heart. And so Jesus would tell these parables. And the one he gives us is about a farmer who's doing some old-fashioned broadcast sowing. Now, some of you farm people know what that is. Some of you grew up on farms. I didn't know what it is, but, you know... You're throwing out the seed every which way, and then afterward you plow over it. Some of it goes into the ground. So he talks about a farmer. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. He's sowing seed. And from that, he's asking the question, does anybody really get it? What kind of soil is your heart? What kind of soil is your heart? Can the Word of God grow in it? So let's look at what he says here. And he gives us three not-so-productive hearts. He gives us three hearts that uh, ain't good soil. But then he gives a wonderful promise at the end for hearts with good soil. So let me run through those three. The first thing I'm calling a defeater heart. A defeater heart. Now, if you're familiar with that philosophical idea, a defeater is a belief that prevents you from believing in another belief. It's kind of like a pre-belief that biases you against from accepting another belief. For instance, someone might have the belief that the suffering in the world and science make belief in God impossible. That's a defeater belief. It defeats the possibility to even believe in God. Or another defeater belief might be people in the first century couldn't separate fact from fiction. Well, then you're not going to be able to take what's you know, take what's there and seriously. Or it might be uh, the belief that culture and language is so bound up, we really can't get to truth at all. And so, you know, the Bible's full of culture. It's a defeater belief. And uh, what we tend to do is we convince ourselves that those beliefs, because, by the way, this is seed that never even has a chance, Right? This is seed that gets thrown up, but there, there ain't even a chance. And def- our defeater beliefs basically don't even give the Word of God a chance. He says that the devil comes and steals it. Now, the problem I think we get into and the insight that Jesus gives us is we tend to think, either if it's our doubts, you know, you're professing Christian here and you doubt, or you're seeking the Christian faith, we tend to think they're intellectual. That's my issue. They're intellectual. And what Jesus does 
is he actually presses us a little bit deeper into the heart and says, are they just? Are they just intellectual? Now, he says, this, is, uh, this first one is soil that hears the word but of the kingdom but doesn't understand it. And you might say, well, I'm, not, I'm having trouble seeing your point here, Glenn. He says, doesn't understand it. It sounds like it's just an issue of mental capacity. But when we dig a little deeper and look at the context, we realize that's not what he's saying, actually. Why? Because he goes on to say that the reason I speak in parables, some, for, for those that have, or let's just even read it, to you it has been given, right? For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. I speak to them in parables because they do not see, herein they do not hear, nor do they understand. And again, it might sound like he's just punishing them for not being smart enough. That wouldn't be just. Except we have a little bit more context that helps us. One, the passage starts off with the words, the same day. What happened the same day? Jesus had performed two miraculous, merciful miracles. He healed a man afflicted in his hand and healed a man that was afflicted by a demon. And yet, what happened was the religious leaders hated him for it because it usurped them, and the crowds then just wanted to use him as a vending machine. And so there's a moral problem going on. And then he goes on. This is why he quotes Isaiah, and you heard it. These people are dull in the air. So what he is saying, actually, that a defeater heart has some moral problems going on. And this is where Christians, we, we, we need to, to, to look at this, because Christians can have defeaters, right? It might be for you as, well, you know, I pay attention to Jesus' words, but like the Old Testament, not so sure about Paul, don't even mention him. And, you know, basically, I kind of see Jesus' words as having authority. Well, that's a defeater, because Jesus didn't believe that. And we might think it's just an intellectual thing, but there's a deeper heart thing going on. Or it might be, you know, supernatural myths. It might just be hard passages in the Bible. This is one of the reasons I've been, last couple years, just, you know, reading through the Bible slowly. I've tried those year things. I can't do them. I I, I bail after a month because I feel ashamed. I'm not keeping up on things. At one time, I actually had a great little plan, and the top of it was called the Slacker's Plan for reading the Bible. And I was like, I can do this. There were no dates. You just kept moving. Anyway, but I'll tell you, one of the benefits of doing that is you become across, come across all sorts of stuff that makes you go, what? But then it makes you wrestle with your heart, wrestle with your presumptions. God, I know you to be this. How do I reconcile it with that? And so I want to ask you, what beliefs are maybe preventing you from believing? And have you looked at the heart side of them? What could be going on there? Jesus, good soil, it seems to me, finite and flawed people, good soil would be a posture of humility to say, I'm listening. And sometimes it may be just listening to other Christians, which we struggle to do, listening to God himself. But this is posture of a good heart. The Psalms would say, Lord, teach me your ways. Show me if I have any hidden fault within me. Teach me, God. Do you believe that God has something to teach you?
That's an important question. So, the first one, defeat her heart. The second one is conditional heart. Seed that's on the rocky grounds sprouts up. And these are those that endure for a while, Jesus says, but tribulation or persecution come, they fall away. Here, there's two catalysts for the falling away. One is external pressure and opposition of the culture. And there's no shortage of that in our day and age, right? No shortage of crazy beliefs that uh, basically Christians are believed to have. The word of God is often at odds with the culture, and so it starts to press us into this question when, when the culture's beliefs, whether it be about the exclusivity, uh, the uniqueness of Jesus and the need to believe in him, to know God and to be saved, whether it's the belief that God actually gets the last word on identity, who we are, that we don't get to just call that, whether it's the way we view sexuality, whether it's belief on defense of the unborn, whether it's belief on the way that we spend our money, you know, on and on and on, as the culture begins to press, press against me, do I hold the word? One of the marks of every Christian is you believe something because God said it. And I know that sounds sort of like, I don't mean it like a parent, you know, just believe it. What I mean is God demonstrates and he validates and helps us a lot with our doubts and gives us a lot of evidence and proof throughout life. Okay, this makes sense to me. But he will always ask you, demand of you, to believe things by faith, right? So the second conditional heart is essentially someone that lives by sight. Someone that is saying, I, I, I'm, the world must confirm what I believe or I'm not going to believe it. The culture must confirm what I believe. And why does God do that? Because ultimately a relationship, every relationship is going to come down to that. If you have a close relationship with someone, at one point you're going to have to believe something about them because you trust them. God's always been after trust. That's his aim. That's what this whole thing is about. He's trying to get us to trust him. And it's messy. It's not easy. It's hard. It means a lot of waiting. It means a lot of tears. It means trials. It means joy. And that leads us to the second part of this conditional heart. He talks about the seed that um, tribulation comes. You know, when we're younger in our faith... We hear people talk about the fact that Jesus calls us to follow and carry a cross, the cruciform life. And I, we nod. We nod. But there's some part of us in immature faith that goes, that's not going to happen to me. That thing is not going to happen to me. Or, I still have time. Like, you've got your bucket list. Earlier on in your faith, you've got your bucket list and go, you know, I really want this out of life, and I really want this out of life, and this out of life. Earlier on, you can look at the clock and go, well, I still, got, I still got time. He still may give it to me. Or I still, I still got time to like perform up to his standards so he'll give it to me. But what happens if you walk long enough, you realize, huh, doesn't seem like he's going to give it to me. And at that moment, 
your heart and its soil begins to, you know, was I just sort of sprouting up or is the word of God something deeper in my life? Um, I told you an aha moment for me when I was in seminary was when I heard a, a pastor come in and speak and he had gone through tremendous loss and he said, uh, he was, he, you know, and he wasn't like the most spunky guy. And I, you know, most joyful. And I, you know, probably even from that, I was like, I don't know about this guy. You know, yeah, seminary's hard enough. I'm coming into chapel. I want a little joy. I want a little encouragement. And, and he just said, uh, I've come to believe that life is suffering with respites. And I was like, man. It took me years to understand that he was right. He was right. This is the life that, you know, life is suffering and struggling with times of peace. But that's not all it is. Let's, let's go a little bit different, because this is when we get into Jesus' words about the yield. Now, a typical agricultural yield would have been fivefold, fifteenfold would have been great. He says thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. So he's trying to, you know, blow their imagination and saying, I am talking about, for those that let the word root. I am talking about something beyond what you can imagine. And some of that is this idea of a joy that can weather circumstance. Right? That's, like, that's Jesus. Suffering and joy going together. This is the Christian life, the, the great contradiction. How can suffering and rejoicing go together? This is the Beatitudes. Happier are those that are poor in spirit. Happier are those that mourn over their sin. Happier are those that are hungry and thirst for righteousness, meaning, oh, I'm not where I should be. Happier are those. But, you know, what happens, there's a clash between our bucket list and God's blessing list. There's a clash that goes on. And I, I was thinking about this. Um, it's like God would come up to me or you and say, I am going to make you exceedingly joyful, but you know that one thing or two things you want? I'm not going to give that to you. And would our response be at that point, I don't want the other. I don't want the exceedingly, I want that. That's what I need. It's kind of like a kid that gets all these presents for his birthday but doesn't get the one thing he wanted, and he sulks. And so a seed that can actually sit in the soil and bloom is someone that goes, God has the capacity through his promises and words to make me exceedingly joyful even as I feel like he is just shaking down my world. He's taking my bucket list and just going, You know, pouring it out. And of course, it's not that stark. Because he's so good and he's so generous and he gives us desires and he blesses, right? He gives us desires and then he, I really believe, like good desires he gives us, he makes good on. But there's always going to be those things that he's going to say. Can you bear fruit? But lastly, and more uh, briefly, so we have the soil of the defeater heart, the soil of the conditional heart, but the last one is what we might call the temporal or secular heart. And by secular, you know, if you look at the etymology of secular, you find it has lots of different strands, but some of it is someone who is fixated on their age and moment. 
They're fixated on the moment. And that's where they live. They can't see eternity. They can't, that's where their life. And he would say that there is, the, there is someone, and, and those things, and this is the irony, I, I think what that moment tends to mean usually is I'm fixated on the quality of my life. I'm fixated on the standard of my life. And so uh, any word that has to do with my life improving, like I am latched onto. I'm constantly researching, like, is there a better way to eat? You know, I'm constantly researching, you know, is there some, something I can do to improve this, or prove, you know, to get my, my maximum life now? How can I make, you know, it, it is in some ways the idol of self-fulfillment. How can my job be more self-fulfilling? How can this, you know, we're constantly, and it's not like, again, good desires, but this is someone who is fixated on, he says, the wealth of the world. It's interesting, he doesn't say wealth is bad, he says the deceit of it. So what it, what it is, is your, your quality of life and your standard of living are deceiving you. They're deceiving you. He would say they're thorns. They look like things of comfort but they're actually prickly thorns. And they're choking out the word of God. And so, you know, what the Lord has to do in a good way is he has, he, he, if he's messing with your quality of life right now, maybe it's your health, maybe it's your relationships, maybe it's just loneliness from this pandemic, maybe it's your standard of living, you're like, I don't know. If he's messing with your quality of life, he loves you. He loves you because he doesn't want his word to get choked out and he wants it to be able to have enough time and focus so it begins to bloom in our lives. You know, and you know, many, many of us can stand up and give testimony and go, I've seen his word bloom through winter. I've seen it. You know, and, I, and one of the privileges of being a pastor and getting to know people's lives is I get to see harvest. I get to see yield. I get to look at your life and go, look what the Word of God is producing in the lives of this community. It's awesome. So, we're going to start to talk about the Word of God in lots of ways. The Word of God is precious. The Word of God is foundational. The Word of God that woos us to himself. The Word of God that corrects us. The Word of God that... All these different things, but we constantly have to go back to, Lord Jesus, give me soil that can receive it, right? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for these parables. Thank you for these questions that you provoke us with. Thank you for the promise of fruitfulness and a great yield. And we pray as we go through this view of thinking about experiencing your word Oh, Lord, we pray that it would look like a full orchard in here in bloom and in our community. In Christ's name, amen.